the things that I get involved with because of my position as being a pastor is funerals. Funerals aren't always the happiest thing to go to, although they don't have to be unhappy. When I was a young pastor, I had been to you know, funerals and conducted a few funerals, and you know they were serious and grave and all the different things you think of in a funeral. But then I went to a funeral that was conducted in a black church. And uh, I was amazed at the different tone of the funeral. It was a celebration. It was a celebration because the, the person that died knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. And instead of uh, all the things that, you know, you're sort of mourning, they did something I'd never seen before. I've seen it a lot since. They had resolutions. Being resolved because sister so-and-so loved the Lord Jesus with all of her heart and because, be it resolved because she taught Sunday school for so many years, be it resolved because her children are, and they went through and all the things in her life and they celebrated. And the last one was, be it resolved, we commend her soul to Jesus. You know, what a, what a wonderful thing to conduct a funeral in that, that way. You know, we're really quite selfish when we have a funeral. It's all about us. But uh, when we respect the fact that that person knew the Lord Jesus. But a funeral without Christ is sad because there is no hope. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said that when he was a boy, his father had died in the consumption, uh, sort of like a virus going around now, and he was a result of that. And uh, he said that after that funeral, and he's going through different things, that he met Christ for real, and he, said, he put it this way, that God painted a rainbow of hope over his heart that he never got over. Isn't that a beautiful thing? A rainbow of hope. And you know, every time we see a rainbow, doesn't that remind us of the promises of God? Yeah, there was a beautiful one just this week. My wife and I were riding along, and, and we saw it, and it kept moving as we were driving. It kept popping up, and, and then a double rainbow came. And we said, just remind us that our God is true, and his promises are past all generations. We can all look to the same promises of God. Well, Ephesians chapter 2, we really start with the two verses of chapter 1. And it says, and he hath put all things, Ephesians 1.22, he hath put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body to fulfill the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God... Heavenly Father, I pray today that as we would look at this passage, it would encourage our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the hope. We thank you for the confidence. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. I pray today that you'd help me as I preach, that I would be strengthened by your hand to be able to preach with authority and clarity and simplicity. And may you take the word of God and lay it into different lives as it would fit those hearts. And now... May you meet with us. And before I finish my prayer, would you at your seat just talk personally to God and say, God, 
would you help the word of God speak to me? I open myself to you, God. Just tell the Lord that in your own heart. And now, Lord, we've yielded ourselves before you as we sit at your banquet feast of your word. May you fill it. May you do a good work. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You notice in verse 22 and 23, he says he's put everything underneath his feet. Jesus is the authority. He's the head of the church. And all things are in and because of Christ. And as we come to chapter 2 then, with that idea that Christ is everything, he is life, he is the head, he's the boss, he's, he's one that gives every bit of strength that we have, he then turns to us in chapter 2, verse 1, and you... And he's talking to the Ephesians. He's talking to me as uh, us today as Christians. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, today we thank the Lord that we've been quickened. It's not some program that we downloaded to do our accounting. That's not the quickening. It's not, you need to hurry up, son, or I'm going to get my little switch out. You need to get a little quick step. That's not the quickening. This is God has taken Richard Butts, who was spiritually dead to God, cut off, separated, no life, no hope in his heart. And because of what Christ did for you and me when we accepted him as our Savior, I was made alive. Could you imagine if you were at a funeral and there's a body sitting down here, it's all prepared, and we're all here to say goodbye to Joe or whoever it is. In this. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, the preacher says, Joe, get up. And Joe got up. Can you imagine to see him walking around and all the rest? Yet spiritually, that is exactly what Christ has done for you and me. I was dead. And Christ has raised me to life. So he goes on and he says, you hath he quickened. He's made alive who were dead in their trespasses and sins. You know, Christians, all of us have sin in our life. We're not going to get up and give a testimony to our sin this morning. But there probably isn't a one of us that couldn't stand up and say, you know, Pastor Butts, if you knew me before I was saved, you'd be shocked that I'm sitting here. Many years ago, there was, we were starting our church. We were in a storefront. There was a family that helped us start, and I really am thankful for Doug and Carol Boyce that helped us start our church. And one night, about a year into the church starting, we were having testimonies, and Mrs. Boyce got up and she said, you know, before I was saved, I went to nursing school. How many nurses do we have in our church? We got a bunch of them, right? And I had no idea. She said, you know, pastor, nurses can be pretty, they can drink, and they can smoke, and they can swear. I said, no, not those beautiful nurses. And she said, I was a nasty lady. And if you knew Mrs. Boyce, I mean, she's like this angel when she walks around, okay? You? She said, I could swear like a sailor. You? But God quickened me. And there probably, you could fill in a testimony similarly. I was talking to somebody just this week, and they said, my family, my dad's family were all unsaved. My dad was out in the world, but God, one by one, quickened that family to several of them and now in the ministry. Wow. When God works in a life, he changes you from what you were to what you can be by the grace of God.
It's a touch of God. It's the salvation that comes by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And you hath he quickened. Do you remember the day you got saved? If you're here this morning and you have been quickened by God, you know it. You aren't just born into a family and made a Christian. You have to be born a second time when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. When did you accept the Lord? Can you clearly look back to that? Maybe you say, well, Pastor, I've always been a Christian. I've heard that so many times in my life. No, you haven't. You were born dead. You were in your sins. And there needs to come a point where God's Holy Spirit worked on your heart, convicted your heart, and you realized that Jesus was the Son of God. And there was a response in your heart. And by faith, you believed in Jesus Christ. And you were born again. You were saved. The Bible here calls it you were made alive. You were quickened. Have you been quickened by Christ? So he says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so he talks about that past life, doesn't he? That that was following the world. You know, Christians, when we get saved, we no longer follow the drumbeat of this world. Who led the drumbeat according to this passage of Scripture? It says the prince of the power of the air. If you've been following along in the Revelation series, it seems like this has been appropriate to bring out. In Revelation chapter 12, I believe it is, Satan was cast out of heaven. There was a war in heaven, and he brought that whole struggle. He now is ahead of the prince of the power. He's got an agenda, and he's alive and well. And before I knew Christ, he's the one that was setting the tone for my life. He was working on the lust of my flesh and the lust of my mind. He was working on the pride of life in my life, and he was playing me like a fiddle. That was me. That was you. But now I no longer walk that way. He says, wherein in time past, you did walk. It's past tense. But now you follow a new person. And it says here, look at verse 3. I'm among whom also we all had our conversation. You know, there's nobody here that can say, I've always, been, I've always been perfect, Pastor. We've all had our conversations, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know that expression that says, we were by nature the children of wrath? Nobody had to teach me to sin. You know, I have three children, and I'll never forget one day one of my children, who had only been in the church nursery, in the pastor's house, at the Christian school, and the Christian school there had a nursery. I can't think where he was around anybody other than that. And one day, there was something that happened. His toys all fell down, and he got mad, and he said a four-letter dirty cuss word. I said, how did he even hear that word from anywhere? By nature, he grabbed right a hold of that thing and sucked it right into his heart. I don't think anybody told you, now, here's how you lie. Here's how you steal. And here's how you think wrong thoughts. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. 
And without the change in our heart from Christ, we still would have that nature dominant in our life. Go on, please, in verse five, 4, please. But God... Here we're painting this picture of a person that's dead and following their old nature and Satan is, is ruling the day and the prince of the power of the air has got his agenda and he's working in our life. But God works in your heart. And I thank God for the person that God brought to me to tell me about Christ. The person that finally led me to the Lord was my own sister. But I thank the Lord that God brought neighbors that took me to church. You know, some of the kids that are here, some of your teenagers, you've ridden in on the bus or a neighbor's brought you to church. Thank God that God is intersecting in your life. And I can remember going to church and hearing that Jesus is the Son of God. And at a certain point in a certain time, God in his mercy saved my soul. And I wonder if you're here this morning and you've heard the gospel many times in your life. You've heard that Jesus is son of God. You've heard that he died on the cross in your place and you know that he died and was buried and God the Father raised him up and he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God in his mercy has been convicting and knocking at the door of your heart and you have to yet respond. Could I encourage you today, let the mercy of God in your life. There is not a person in this room that God doesn't love and want to see saved. So verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love. That word great is a different word. Usually we think of the word in the original being the word megas. This is the word polos, which means it's, it's not just large. It's all the love of God. It takes out the idea that God takes all of his love and he puts it on Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and me. God, for his great love, his all-consuming love, that's how much God loves you. And that's why he gave his son to die for you, that you could be saved. So he says, for God, who is rich in mercy and for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. You know, we could take the time to go back to the book of Romans chapter 3. I'm not going to this morning, but the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none that is good, there is none that seeketh after God, there is none that understandeth, no, not one. It's not common for the old nature to seek after God. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that says that God sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a picture of a, of a shepherd, and he's got some sheep, and one of them is away, and God leaves the 90 and 9, and he seeks the one with all of his love. He loves the one as much as he loves the 99. And he seeks the lost one until he finds it and he brings it back. But God, who is rich in his mercy, wherein he loves us, has sought you and me. Read it again, verse, if you will, please, verse 5. Even when you were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are ye saved. That word, he has quickened us together with Christ. When God allowed you and me to get saved, the idea is there that God takes me and you 
and he places me spiritually, positionally in Jesus Christ. And so that when he quickened his son, he was going to quicken all those that are by faith in him are quickened together with Christ. As Christ was raised up, those that believe on him shall be raised up. It's the power of the resurrection. And that resurrection is because we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6 again. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together. Am I just lost my microphone? He's raised us up together and he's made us sit in Christ. Once again, there's the position. We don't sit in our own good works. We don't sit in our own standing. We stand in the position of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is so merciful. God seeks you and me. When I was just a young preacher, I heard the story told of Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter later in life was an evangelist and served the Lord. And you might have heard of Pacific Garden Mission. That's the place that he got saved up in Chicago. But before that, he was a falling down drunk. He just, he'd come home, get a paycheck, he'd drink it all up. He had a wife, he had some children, and he never brought money home to him. It was a just a typical drunkard home back in the 1800s. It was an awful mess. One day he came home, and his wife said, our little girl, the light of his life, his little girl, was sick. And she said, the doctor came and said, we need medicine. And he said, sweetheart, I don't have any money for medicine. She said, I knew you wouldn't have any money. And the doctor said that he would pay for it, so here's some money. And so she gave her husband, Mel Trotter, the money to go get that money for that baby uh, to get the medicine. And as he headed down to get the money, he passed a liquor store. And he reasoned in his mind that I could take half of this money and get half of the prescription, but I could get a drink too. And somehow between that decision and by the time that he got over to get the prescription, the money was gone. And he was so torn up in his heart, he said, how could I ever go home and face my wife? So whatever way a drunk finds, he went on a long drunk and he was gone for a week or so. When he finally got the strength to come back, he said, I've got to go back and face my wife and tell her, you know, she knows what I've done. When he walked in, it was to a funeral of his little girl. Then he disappeared for weeks and weeks and months. And that is when God in his mercy dumped him out at Pacific Garden Missions. My wife and I, when I was a youth pastor, had the privilege of going and visiting. Pacific Garden Missions is still there. It may not be everything I would like it to be as far as fundamental, but they still preach the gospel there. And it's worth the trip. If you're ever, uh, I believe, if you're ever in Chicago, it's definitely worth trying to go there for an evening. They still, when a person comes to their front door in this bad section of Chicago, you'll come in, and if you want food, they'll have, you have to sit in an auditorium about maybe half again size of this, and you've got to listen to a preacher preach about Jesus. And then, then you can eat after that. And then they'll take you to the de-lousing chambers. You know louses, don't you? Lice. They'll take all your clothes and fumigate them, and they put you through the showers, and, and then they got a place you can fix your teeth. It's a pretty cool place. It's neat what they've done. But God, in his mercy, saved Mel Trotter. 
And the last time that I visited, they still have the pulpit that Mel Trotter later on became the head preacher running the place. God in his mercy saved a man like that. So, Pastor, I can't picture myself. God ever do anything through me. God in his mercy positionally in Jesus Christ can save your soul. You and I are nothing in ourselves. We are there because of what Christ is and who Christ is and what Christ has done. And so we sit together and we're saved together and we're positioned together and we inherit together in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories when I was in Bible college, my first year I had a roommate roommate named Matt Cole. Matt uh, came from a family that was quite wealthy in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. He still lives there. And um, he had a brother and a sister. And back in the old days where you really had to watch if you had any kind of money, they would often leave an estate not to the child. They would leave it to the grandchildren to get past certain taxes. So Matt's family had left him and his brother and his sister The grandfather had left money, but mom had use of it for a lifetime. Well, my freshman year, mom got cancer, long story, suddenly died. And all of a sudden, Matt is now one-third owner of all this huge estate. He went home, and they did the funeral. A little extra asterisk in the story. His mom and dad, after they had their three children, decided to adopt two other children. So he had a younger twins, brother and sister. So there's actually five now to, to take the estate and divide it out. And so when they went to court, um, the will that laid things out originally left the money to the natural children. That's the way it said it, of my daughter. And so Matt and his sister said, you know what? These two, my mom and dad, loved just as much as they loved us. And we want to split ours with them. And they went to their brother and they said, let's just split it five ways. He said, over my dead body. He said, I want my third. It's my third. I'll have my third. And so Matt and his sister took their two-thirds and split it four ways with the family. I'm trying to give you an illustration of what Jesus did for you. That Christ is the inheritor of everything. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. He is sovereign of all. And because of God's love, Jesus Christ came and died and was willing to give everything away. But God the Father received that and restored it all to him. And then Jesus was willing to invite you and me to become sons and daughters of God too. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Just like Matt and his sister said, the adopted are just as real, just as dear as the real. When God looks at you and me because of his great love, where when he loved us, he positioned us in the heavens to be seated in Christ Jesus Christ, that we would have the riches of heaven and eternity to share with his son, Jesus Christ. To me, that blows my mind. You hath he quickened. You that didn't deserve it. You know, Christians, sometimes we forget what God has done for us. We should be shouting hallelujah. We should be uh, going from the chandeliers, from you know, arm to arm, saying, good, look what God has done for me. 
But look at verse 7, please. We're building our way. Verse 6, he raised us together. He's made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. I thought it was interesting today I put in the, in the song service. I wasn't sure what I was going to preach on until this weekend, but uh, we put in Psalm 151, grace is flowing like a river from the Mount of Calvary. I thought, boy, that's going to be good with my message because we're going to talk about grace. I, I'm glad I chose that song. And so up get the Ontoy clan, and they talked about the grace of God. You know, this morning... Maybe that's the theme that God wants you and I to, re, to be reminded of this morning. God's grace, what is it? God's riches at the expense of his son. We, because purely God loved me, he's been merciful. He hasn't given me what I deserve, but in his love, he has graciously, another place in this passage, it says, in his kindness, in his kindness, that is the very tenor of the heart of God, that he feels kind towards me, that he loves me, that he's merciful, and he's filled with grace for you and me. Take that back and put it in the passage. Then the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. But how does that all happen? Through Christ Jesus. We are nothing without Christ. If you're here this morning and you know Christ, it's good for you and I to be remembering that our God loves us that much, that he gave us this much, that his love is directed this strongly. And if you're here without Jesus Christ and you just consider him a historical finger, a figure, a religious person to imitate, you don't understand. You and I, outside of being spiritually integrated into, born into Christ, have no standing before God. If I stand before God, you come back tonight, we're going to talk about the great white throne. The great white throne is a resurrection of all those that are lost. They search the books. So i got to be careful not to preach my message tonight. But they search the books. And there's no hope. There's no second chance. Oh, I've grown up around, a lot of sort of gets bold today. I've grown up around people that are Catholic background. And I tell you, if there's anything in Catholicism that's damning, is that you think you can pray your ancestors out of hell. It's not there. There's no purgatory. There's no all these other places that they're invented that are not spiritually there. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And then comes the judgment. And Christian, the point that we would make, if you get very little else out of the sermon this morning and maybe even this night, is that are you ready to face God because you are positioned in his son, Jesus Christ? Bible pictures that when I get saved, that it's like God takes his righteousness. And when God saves me, his righteousness is placed on me. And God does no longer see Richard Butts and his unworthiness. He sees Jesus. He sees his perfection. 
He sees everything that Jesus did for me. It has, big spiritual word, it's been imputed. It's been accounted to my account the day I got saved. Because of Christ, I have those riches. And because I have a heavenly Father in his mercy and his grace that directed that, but it only comes through Jesus Christ. At Christmas time, my wife and I went to another wedding. I tell everybody's getting married lately, but we went to a wedding out in North Carolina. And as we came back, we decided to swing north, and we went up to see Noah's Ark. I think some of you have been there. How many have been up to Noah's Ark? Sort of fun, isn't it? We're thinking about maybe trying to take a trip when there's no COVID going on. Take a, how many would be interested in going? On, well, that helps me encourage. There we go. All right. We're going to uh, sign you up right afterwards. All right. Okay. And it's worth going. It really is. It's, it's nice and a lot of things. But there, I have a picture. And here you're on the certain level and you're walking along. And all of a sudden, there's just this big blank spot, quite large. And there's a door. And it, you realize that this is the door of the ark that God opened. And remember when it was all the time and Noah said, get in, get in, get in. And then all of a sudden, God's hand reached down and shut that door. And I took a picture standing on the inside of the door. But you know what? There are people maybe in this auditorium. The ark is a type of Jesus Christ. That's what it pictures. And there's only one way in. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Children sing the song, one door and only one, and yet the sides are two, inside and outside on which side are you? And that's the question that sort of begs from this. Outside of Christ, you're lost. But God in his richness of his love, and there's a whole list of things that we could take our time, his love, his mercy, his grace, his kindness has been extended to me. And the thing that blows my mind so much is that God did that as if I were the only one on the earth. He loved me, and he loves you that much. It's not, I love generally the, those human beings. I love you. And only the love of God could be that big to love you individually like that. Go back, please, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And here are verses that we have learned from the ages past. Would you say verse 8 and 9 with me? I think most of you could do it without even reading it. You ready? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, as I was restudying that to try to bring this message, in the Greek language, there is much to be made of prepositions. So, boy, what is this all about? A preposition in translation always gives you a direction toward the center object. Either you're under it, you're over it, you're of it, you're because of it, you're through it. And it's very picturesque. In our English language, often we have to add like three or four words to give enough what that's trying to indicate. 
So with that in mind, let's look at the direction and the sourcing and what is because of in these two verses. Look, if you will, verse 8. For by grace. Now, there's already, we already got one, by. In the Greek, that would be the word that it means um, instrumentality. By. It, it's because from God. By his grace, not by me. You see, my salvation is not sourced in my own ability. It's based in the grace of God. By grace are ye saved. And, but we say that word saved so many times. What is saved? Saved from what we should have gotten as a penalty for sin. For the wages of sin is death. You know, we talk about death. There's two kinds of death. There's spiritual death, which is separation from God because of our sin forever. And because of that same sin, so death passed upon all mankind. There's physical death and there's spiritual death. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Now, through faith, once again, faith is the opposite. I'm saved by grace But what I do, I obtain it through grace, by faith, through faith, I'm sorry, through faith. My part is to believe the promise that God gave. This morning, God doesn't say through church membership. He doesn't say through doing a whole lot better than you used to do. I tell you, if it was through church membership, you'd have to say, which church? I know a a denomination quite large that they believe you have to be baptized in a church three times forward by an ordained preacher that's right with God. What would you do if you found out your pastor was a liar and a charlatan? And your whole salvation was based on 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 a dirty, rotten preacher. Or the church wasn't right doctrinally. Oh my goodness, I have to get baptized again. I'm gonna die. We're not saved by baptism. We're saved by grace through faith. Go on, please. For by grace through faith, and that not of, there's our word of, it's not sourced from myself. It is the gift that comes from where? From God. Isn't that interesting to see how these things work? By grace, through faith, not of myself, but of God. God's the one that's gracious to me. Look at verse 9. Not of works. You and I probably understand the word works, but maybe there's somebody here this morning. What are works? Those are anything that you think you can do, any righteous deeds, helpful deeds, moral reform, not of any of your human effort. And he tells us why in verse 9. Lest any man should boast. That word boast there has the idea just clearly of a person that gets up and says, look what I have done. Not of my effort. Not of my good deeds. Not of my church membership. Not of my family heritage. Not of my baptism. Not of my big donation. Not because I build a pyramid. Not because I said confession to another human being but it's by God's gift. 
And then he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Created where? In who? So if I'm outside of Christ, I'm in problems. Created in Christ Jesus. And then we find another on two good works. So because I'm saved and I'm made alive, now I'm quickened. I now can begin to live a life that pleases God. Not that that saves me or keeps me saved, but now I'm alive. Boy, a lot of parents here, do you remember the first time you, you were having a baby and you put your hand over on the stomach of your wife? Pastor Stephen, I don't know if you've come to that point yet or not. My wife says, moving. I don't feel it. Always moving. Take my word for you. Moving. Okay. Okay. You, do you remember some of those conversations in your house? But there's life. Not of grace. Unto good works. The, when there's life, there begins to be works. But the works don't make the life. The life are the response of a, are the result of a quickened heart. A changed into a live God has changed us now. Unto good works which God hath ordained that we should walk therein. Now, verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, he wants to make us realize, I'm going to skip down to verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. Two things I would bring out in our time's shortening. Number one, we're made nigh. We're made close. We are brought together, not in our own efforts. Here he gives it the credit to the blood of Christ. Oh, we should take time this morning and stop. When Jesus Christ died, if we had time, we'd go over the book of Hebrews, and it says that he went into the heavenlies, into the holy of holies, and there, just like the priests in the Old Testament would go into the holy of holies once a year, Jesus Christ, our once and for all eternal priest, offered once, and it was satisfied, satisfied God forever. He offered his blood for you and for me. Praise God for the shed blood of Christ that paid in full your sin and my sin. You know, people that don't know our Savior and they hear this message, you say, you're saved by a blood sacrifice? That sounds like something from some heathen power of the world. No, it's straight out of the word of God. Without the sacrificial dying of Jesus Christ in the cross where his blood was given, not just the act of sacrifice, but his literal, listen to me, his literal blood, Jesus Christ gave his blood that he could take it there and offer it to God and that could be the payment forever for my sins. He has petitioned God, and God has received that, and he was satisfied. How do I know he was satisfied? Because God then raised up Jesus Christ, and you and I, being in Christ, positionally have the same resurrection. Praise God, we've been made nigh. We've been brought close to God again. And what was the picture of that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and it was dark for three hours and there were earthquakes and people came out of the graves. But the thing that was the most shocking was the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. What's the veil? That big heavy curtain. It's not some flimsy thing like this. It's thick. And being ripped 
from top to bottom, you know that that had to be God. Remember, this is at least 15 feet tall. Can you imagine the priest? They're not even supposed to go in there only once a year, and they're in the holy place, not the holy of holies, and they're maybe doing their job, putting out the showbread, maybe lighting the candlesticks or whatever they're supposed to be doing, and all the stuff's going outside. They don't realize it, but all of a sudden, they hear a rumbling. They hear people talking, and all of a sudden, they look up, and all of a sudden, the curtain just rips open, and they're looking at the ark. And they say, ooh, I can't. What's that a picture of? We now have no more limited access to God. We have been brought close to God. How? Through Jesus' shed blood, he opened the way. And people, don't let anybody ever minimize the importance of the shed blood of Christ. For it's by that shed blood that you and I were ministered away into the presence of God. And listen, Christ is the perfect lamb of God that died once and for all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Verse 13, but now in Christ... Ye who were sometimes far off are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he, that's Christ, is our peace. And this morning, do you have peace with God? Can you lay your head on the pillow tonight and say, now I lay me down to sleep? And God I've given my heart to you, and if I don't wake up on this world, I'm ready. Do you have a peace like that? I run into people a lot over the years. They say, I hear a preacher say that. I see somebody get up at a church service. They say, but I have peace. If I die today, and, they, and they're thinking, I don't want to say it to anybody, but I don't have peace like that. Jesus is your Peace. And if you have been placed into Christ by being born into him, then it's nothing you have to do, your church membership. It's not, not your feelings. It's your position in Christ that gives you peace. Recently, I led somebody to Christ, and after we got all done, I said, do you know if you died, you know you go to heaven? He said, I hope so. I said, well, what's the Bible says? It says you can know so. So if you died, are you going to heaven? I said, I hope so. I said, well, it's not about how you feel. Said, well, I'm not sure in, in my heart how I feel about all this. Do you believe this? Yes, I believe it. Do you believe that God saved you? Yes. So if you died, where would you go? I hope I go. <laughs> See, I, Christ is our peace. Maybe there's somebody in the auditorium that you struggle with the assurance of your salvation from time to time. It just sort of keeps bumping up at you. Can I give you, there's a lot of things we could say, but I give you one good point. Quit trying so hard to do what Jesus has finished. In him is enough. Quit trying to please God. You can't. You can't be good enough. You can't stay good enough. You can't. You never could. So why do you think now you suddenly have to do it to stay saved? 
I'm saved because I have peace through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And how did I obtain that? He already told us. By grace through faith in that finished work. And I hope that you have a day like that. Verse 14, for he is our peace. Verse 15, he has abolished in his flesh the enmity. Jesus Christ took all of the the separation and all the anger, and he took all the wrath of God. Jesus took it upon himself, and he's abolished it. It's gone. Go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. Death has no more sting, has no more hold on me. It's been abolished. The law that condemned me. The Ten Commandments were never given to be saving instruments. They were condemnation instruments to bring you unto your need of a Savior to where you would accept Christ. And when you accepted Christ, he nailed it to his cross. And he took it out of the way. And he abolished it. And it's God. Praise God, my sins have been abolished in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. There's a lot, verse 16, that he might reconcile us to God. Verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to them which were afar off. Something that I haven't really brought forth in this passage, he's talking about the difference between Jew and Gentile. And they're saying, look, the Gentiles are second-rate people. But listen to me, Christians. In Christ Jesus There isn't second class, first class, better than thou. We all stand at the same place in Christ. I heard a preacher preach. I never heard it before. I I like the way he said it. He said, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And we all stand at the same place in need of a Savior. And in him, we are all equal children. There's no first class, second class. Jesus even said to the person that gets saved late in life, remember the illustration of how he paid the servants and the one at the last minute comes and he pays them the full. When you get saved, you get the full dose. How about that thief on the cross? He got the full thing. Verse 18, and through him, We both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, and you're built upon the foundation of all those apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. All those things brought us to the point where we would stand on the foundation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, other foundation, no other foundation has any man laid than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He is the foundation. Here he's called the cornerstone. I referred to this the other day, but I've got to bring it out again. What is this cornerstone? In 1 Peter, the cornerstone is pictured of a building being built. And as it's being built, they're putting in these square, rectangular things. The building's going up, and they run across this misshapen one that just seems doesn't fit 
their mind of a rock that's going to be building this thing. And so they take it and they throw it over. They discard it in the rubbish pile. It's worthless. But as they get to the end and they realize the thing that's going to be the foundation piece, or they, this passage, the capstone that's going to make the building work, they go over here and they say, you know, what we thought was worthless is the foundation. And you know, a lot of people, that's the way they think of Jesus. I don't need religion. I don't need, but Jesus is that foundation stone that without him, you have no hope. Praise God for that foundation. And he has raised us and he will raise us uh, up in the last day. And praise God for the finished shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for you and me on the cross. He preached peace to us. The, The Jew and the Gentile are equal. We have equal access through Christ. Do you notice by the Holy Spirit? I don't want to overemphasize the Holy Spirit, but let's talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus paid for it. Jesus is the one that administers it. Jesus is the one that we stand in, but it's through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that knocks at the door of your heart. It's always a miracle when somebody's born again. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it tells us that we're regenerated through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. How do you explain to somebody? I was listening to Pastor Butts on May... 24th, 2020, minding my own business. And the Holy Spirit said, bing. And it just seemed like everything that that preacher said, did you tell, did you, he's, he's got my, why isn't he talking to anybody else? He's just talking to me. And a lot of us here that know the Lord is our Savior, do you remember the day when you got convicted like that? It was just like somebody got your name. It was like the preacher was calling your name out, and you said, I can't believe he's talking to me. And God's Holy Spirit drew you. But what's the response? It's a response of believing or not believing. See, the only sin in the bottom line of the day that keeps you and me from heaven and hell is what we do with that rock. We either reject it or we receive it. The only sin that sends a person finally to hell is a sin of unbelief. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Through the Holy Spirit's work in your heart where he does the miracle of transformation through the power of Christ's shed blood, I that was dead am now made alive eternally to the God of ages who have been restored. You can't explain it. But it's the work of Christ administered by the Holy Spirit. Has the Holy Spirit worked in your heart? And I tell you what, you sit in a church service and whatever situation God's word has come on your heart and the Holy Spirit's been convicted, you try to get up and walk home, go home, and you just keep saying, hey, you should have responded. Why don't you just go right back in and talk to that preacher? Why don't you call him up? Why don't you call that friend that took you? Why don't you go see your mother, your father? Why don't you, let's get it settled. Get on your knees right now. Well, I think of several of you in the auditorium. We can give testimony. You don't have to have the preacher around to get saved. There's an individual sitting in the auditorium this morning. 
It was listening to the preaching on a radio station. Praise God for Christian radio. And at some point, whatever happened, he realized that he needed Christ. And the preacher said, if you're at that point, just shut the blinds and get on your feet and your knees and you right there accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he did. And because, not that he came to church and got baptized, but because he believed. He was born again. There's a man that was in our church. He's a preacher now. He's away from here. He preaches. Got his own church. He'd been in prison three times. He'd even made a profession with his mouth to sort of satisfy the religious workers that came because he thought it would satisfy them, but it wasn't real. And as he was put back out on, and he was out from prison, he sat in his room and he thought, I've got some of this religious stuff, and they gave me a Bible, and he opened it, and, and he finally came to a point with his life. He said, you know, God, this is what they say is true, and Jesus is your son, and I, the best I know how, ask you to be in my life today and forgive me of my sins, and I believe on you today. He was changed. He tried to go back to his old religious stomp grounds that his family went to, and he said, they're not talking right. He found a group that somebody gave him a little literature. He went to it and he said, well, they're talking right, but they don't act right. And there was a man in our church who was working with him and invited him to church and he came in and he said, I've never heard the Bible so alive. I understand it. And he began to grow. Got in Dr. Hodge's Bible College and now pastor's. How do you explain that? A boy that's troubled two, three generations full of people in prison. But when God moved in through the Holy Spirit and he, by honest, sincere faith, believed on Jesus Christ, God changed him. And he restored him to the Heavenly Father. It's not by Pastor Butts. It's not by saying confession to a priest. It's not praying to the mother of Jesus. It's not in church membership. It's not in my acts of kindness and generosity. Do you know what's something sort of neat? During COVID, we've had two or three people. I don't know who they are. I finally know one of them. They're just dropping flats of water. Yesterday, a lady came in and just gave bread. I appreciate all those kind of things. I mean, that's nice. But you know, as kind as that is, it doesn't get you to heaven. You say, are you criticizing? I'm not criticizing. I'm sorry if they think that's what it's going to take to please God. Keep it. Come to Christ. God doesn't need my money. God doesn't need my acts. God wants my heart. I could preach on to you this morning. What will you do with the Lord Jesus? Will you believe on him? Will you receive him this morning? He wants to invite you to come in. Years ago, I heard the story of a man that was going from what they called old Europe he was immigrating to the new country, which was America. 
It's back in the days where he went on a ship, and so he saved up his money, and he converted what assets he had left, and he had been told that you could get robbed, and you needed to find a way to hide it and make it simple. So he took all that money, and he bought a diamond gem that was worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and he knew when he got to America, he could sell it and convert it back, but he could hide this very easily on his body, and nobody would get it. So Halfway through the voyage, some of the people were partying and drinking, and they were doing silly things and acts, and he revealed that he had a diamond. And the people said, ooh, that's really so. This is everything I have. This, this is my life. This is my new life in America. And they said, wow, that's amazing. He's going on the ship, and he said, this is my new life. And he started tossing it up in the air. And the, now the guys are impressed. He said, whoa, you, you're being careless. He said, I could go higher. And then he walked over to the edge of the ship and off the edge. He showed he could stick it out over the, over the edge of the ship and, and do it. And in his carelessness, he threw it up. And the ship lurched. And he reached to grab it only to watch it slip down into the water to be a lost eternity. And there may be somebody here that that's the way you're playing with your soul. And one day it may be too late. Jesus Christ died for you. God's great love, his shed blood has been paid for you. And he calls on you in this Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit's been convicting you, maybe even before you ever got here today. And it's time for you to do business with God. God wants to be able to record you in this passage as you hath he quickened who were dead. Would you come from death to life today? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would take this message and drive it into our hearts. Oh, Lord, men and women and teenagers here, Father, I felt like today there was an honest, sincere listening. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words and draw anybody that doesn't have that confident hope. They have not yet come through the door of the ark of salvation. They have not placed that saving faith in Jesus, your son. Lord, tell them in their heart right now you love them. Please, Lord, draw them this moment to that they would be saved today. In Jesus' name.